Psalm chapter 8. You can turn there if you'd like in your Bibles. While you're doing that, the children can be dismissed for Children's Church upstairs in the chapel. As I mentioned earlier, next week we will, we will be promoting children into their new grade. And so sixth graders that have just finished sixth grade and are beginning seventh grade will be promoted into our youth ministry and graduate out of our children's ministry. And also in all of our Sunday school, youth Sunday school classes, they'll all move up into their new grade levels as well next, next week. Um, I also just want to take a moment just to say, as I mentioned earlier, that, that this week as we kick off our, our fall ministries on Wednesday nights and next Sunday morning, if you have been thinking I might like to join a Wednesday night men's group or, or a women's group, or maybe I want to come on Sunday morning and, and join a Sunday school class, but you're just not sure when to take that opportunity to do it, let me just say that this week or the, these next couple of weeks would be a perfect opportunity for you to come and to join us on Wednesday nights here at the church or on Sunday mornings. Uh, this is a perfect opportunity for someone to come who has not been apart or has not been apart for a while uh, for you to come and, and, and re-engage and get involved in those ministries. We are in Psalm 8 this morning. If you're in a pew Bible, that's page 450. We're going to begin in verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. That you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field. The birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. In all the earth. As we begin in Psalm 8 today, we have to start with that first verse. In fact, it's the, it's the first verse and it's the last verse in Psalm 8. David, in, in just nine verses, David gives us the exact same phrase two different times. He begins and ends with that phrase. And so we have to jump into that right away. And I think even before we jump into that whole phrase, we have to just look at the first four words to really get a picture of what David is trying to do here in Psalm 8. In Psalm 8, in verse 1 and verse 9, David starts with, O Lord, our Lord. O Lord, our Lord. In fact, in those first two words, O Lord, you'll see in your Bibles as you're reading through, you'll see that that word Lord is is in all caps. And I think Many of you know that when you see that word Lord in all caps in the Bible, you know that to be the name of God, Yahweh. It's the name that that God gave to himself when Moses came to the burning bush and God was in the bush. and And Moses asked who was there and God said, I am, was the name that he gave to Moses. That name Yahweh. So when David starts Psalm 8, he doesn't just start with a generic name for God. He doesn't just start with, with a, 
an idea that, oh God, I'm writing this psalm to you. I'm writing a song of praise to you. But he says, oh Lord, Yahweh, the name that you have given to yourself, the most powerful name, the name that is so powerful, so important, so strong, that when, when the scribes would write it, in the time of the Old Testament, they would, they would cleanse themselves to write that very name because it was so precious and so holy and so important. And David starts this psalm by saying, Oh Lord, the great God, the provider, the all-sufficient one, the one who is, is eternal, who is unchanging, who is all-powerful and fully sufficient, that God is how David starts Psalm 8. Oh, Lord. And then the next two words are our Lord. He starts by saying, Oh, the most holy name for God, names God, that name says, Oh, Lord, and then says, Our Lord. And that really is the, the idea, this idea comes through all of Psalm 8, but it's really the idea that we've talked about over and over in all of the Psalms that David especially connects, associates the most high and glorious and grand God, O Lord, to us, our Lord. And he's done it a number of times. We've looked at some of those scriptures. Let me just remind you of a couple that we've looked at this summer. From Psalm 25, David wrote, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. Friendship with the Lord is for those who fear him. Friendship. Psalm 63, David wrote, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David continues to make personal connections between the grand and great and glorious Yahweh God to himself personally and to us. O Lord, our Lord. It's a pretty strong connection, a pretty bold statement. David says, you are not just an impersonal out there God of the universe, but you are my God. You are a friend. You are a shepherd, he says in Psalm 23. You are my shield and my glory, he said in Psalm 3. You are my God. It's an unbelievable statement that David says, that this grand and glorious God is a personal God. And yet that is exactly the case. We'll see it as we look more at Psalm 8. But you see it all through Scripture. That God, the creator of all things, wants to have a personal relationship with us through Jesus. So as we begin this morning and as we jump into the psalm, as we've done all the way through the book of the psalms this summer, we have to start with that, that there is a personal connection between us and God. And if today, if you are here and you're thinking 
that yes, there is a God, yes, there is this creator who has, who has created the world and set all things in motion that maybe even is in charge of things and does good things for his people, but you do not have that personal relationship and connection with God. You see him as this great and grand character, but you do not have a personal connection with God. If you cannot say, oh Lord, our Lord, we have to start there. God does not want to be an impersonal being that's set out above the universe, but wants to have a personal relationship with us, and in fact, made a way for us to do that through Jesus. We'll talk about that more in just a little bit. But David starts, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. How majestic is your name in all the earth. It's an exclamation point at the end of that statement. It's a statement that David is making. He's saying, how majestic is your name in all the earth. But I think it's also, for David, a a question, a bit of a question. In fact, that's why he writes verses verses 2 through 8. It's so that he can begin to process and understand and describe how majestic is your name in all of the earth. And so he begins to write those out. But he starts by proclaiming it, knowing it as a statement. How majestic is your name in all the earth. Your glory, you have set your glory above the heavens. It's both a statement and a question. David starts by saying, how great is our God. He has a high view, a big view of God. And then we jump right into verse 2. Out of the mouth of babies and infants. Out of the mouth of babies and infants. Do you see the contrast? We start with, how majestic is your name in all the earth? You are a great and grand and glorious God. You are, you are self-sufficient. You are all-powerful and great. You are majestic. Your glory is above the heavens. And then he says, babies and infants. Out of the mouths of babies and infants. Do you see the difference there? The contrast there? He says, your glory is above the heavens. You are the greatest of all things. There is nothing that is greater than you. There is no being that compares to you. You are above the heavens. And jumps right to the mouths of babies and infants. Creatures who are, are entirely and totally dependent. Creatures who are, are seemingly seemingly insignificant in the grand scheme of the world. And he says, out of the mouths of babies and infants, he says, what are the, what are the mouths of babies and infants doing? They are establishing strength because of your gods, because of God's foes to still the enemy and the avenger. He says, your name is, is majestic. How majestic is your name in all the earth? Your glory is seen above the heavens and then jumps right into babies and infants and says their mouths are establishing strength toward defeating the enemies of God, toward stilling the enemies of God. 
What a contrast there. How majestic is your name in all the earth. You are above all the glories. And now the mouths of babies are defeating the enemies of God. God, in all of his majesty, makes babies and infants, it appears in Psalm 8, the means, one of the means, of his triumph, of his victory. So the question this morning is, why? Why would God do that? Why would that happen? Because God does not need babies and infants to snuff out his enemies. If God has enemies, and it's obvious he does, it says in Psalm 8, God could use any means that he wants to defeat his foes. He could snuff them out in, 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 in any moment, at any time, in any way, in any method, in any means. He does not have to use the mouths of babies and infants. And yet he intentionally does that. He intentionally uses what is seemingly insignificant. He intentionally uses the weak to triumph over the strong. And not only does he use babies and infants, but, but Psalm 8 says that he uses the mouths, what comes out of the mouths of babies and infants to slay his enemies. I think it's clear. I think when we begin to think about babies and infants, what comes out of their mouths is not, is not profound wisdom. But what comes out of their mouths is, is cries, is, is babble, is laughter. Some, some parents probably want to, to make up in their mind that the baby is saying daddy and mommy and, but, but right away, for sure, babies and infants, they, they are not in a coherent speech. And yet, and yet scripture says that those, what's coming out of the mouths of babies and infants, God is using to triumph over his foes. David says, how majestic is your name in all the earth as a question, perhaps. And then immediately answers it with, out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. The greatest uses the weakest. And then he goes on. Verses 3 through 8, he says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You've made him a little lower than heavenly beings. You've crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. David says here, in another contrast, he says, he says, God, you have, I, I, I look at the heavens and I, and I look at the work of your fingers, he says. He probably even remembers back to those days as, as a shepherd, as a young, as a young man, as a boy, when he would, would lead the sheep and was a shepherd for his father and would lay in the, in the, on the ground in the dark of the night and look up into the stars. You know what I'm talking about here. My sister was just here a couple of weeks ago from, from Portland. She and her family live in, in Portland. 
We're just outside of Portland. And one night, we're in our yard. They, the, the kids had never been here before. My sister had been, but her children never had. And so we're outside one night. And, and they're jumping on the trampoline and they look up and they say, Mom, there's, there's stars here. And so we're there, we're in the dark and they're looking and, and my sister especially was blown away by the number of stars that she can see. Cause you know what I'm saying. When you're out in the dark and your eyes are adjusted to the dark a little bit and you begin to look into the heavens and into the stars, you can see those first layers and, and pick out the big dipper and pick out Orion and his sword and all of those things. But then as you look, you can see stars beyond those stars, right? And then you can see even stars beyond those stars and you can see layers and layers and layers of stars. At least here in the country, you can do that. And my sister's family was amazed at that. But in my head, that's the picture that I have here of David. He's lying on his back. He's, 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 he's looking up at the stars while he's watching over the sheep at night and he sees layers and layers and layers and layers of stars. And he says in Psalm 8, When I look up at your heavens, when I look at those layers and layers and layers of stars, I see the work of your fingers. Is that a picture of a great and grand and glorious God? That there's all of these layers of stars, so many stars we can't count, we can't even fathom how big our universe is. The galaxies upon galaxies upon galaxies that there are. And yet, all of those galaxies, all of those stars have been put together by the flick of a finger. That is a great and grand and glorious God. And David says, God, who with the flick of his finger has put out the moon and the stars, all of those that you have set in place, and then says, what is man that you are mindful of him? The God who with the flick of a finger put all of those stars in place. There's no way. There's no way that you can lay on the ground and look up at those stars and see the layers and layers of stars and galaxies that God has flicked into place and say, I am so important. I am the center of the universe. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't see the great and grand and glorious God and the things that he has put together with the flick of a finger and say, I am so important. And yet David says, I see all those things. And then I say, what is man that you are mindful of him? Son of man that you care for him. And not only... Little tiny insignificant me, the one that lays under all those layers and layers of stars that you have flicked with your fingers and set up. Not only am I insignificant compared to the stars of the universe, but you are so mindful of me that you've made me a little lower of heavenly beings, but you have crowned me with glory and honor. You've given me dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under my feet, all sheep and oxen and beasts of the field and birds of the heaven and fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. God, you have given me a place and a position and an importance. 
the one who flicked the stars into being. You are mindful of me. Again, he says, the great and grand and glorious and powerful God has chosen man, small, insignificant, tiny, infinitesimal compared to the God who flicks the stars into beings. You have chosen me to rule over a portion and a part of creation. You use the insignificant to rule. He uses the weak. He uses the weak to defeat his enemies. And he uses the insignificant to rule over his creation. God's majesty, David is saying here in Psalm 8, God's majesty is seen in babies defeating enemies and avengers and men ruling over all of creation. Not just seen, God's majesty is not just seen in those things, but better seen. Even best seen. Through the words of babies and infants, the mouths of babies and infants defeating his enemies, and man ruling over his creation. One scholar said it this way, he said, the glory of God's strength is greater because it's established through human weakness. The glory of God's wisdom is greater because it is established through human folly. God's glory is greater because it's seen in weakness. And yet, God's foes are not entirely defeated. And God's and man's rule over dominion and creation leaves much to be desired. We do not do it perfectly, and all of God's foes have not been taken care of completely. There's more. Psalm 8 begins and ends with, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. But I would say today that this psalm is not just a psalm of, of praise. It's not just a hymn of praise declaring the greatness of God. It's not just a song that we, that we start and end with, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth, and end with that. Who is mine? Who is man that you are mindful of him? We don't end with that this morning because this psalm is more than that. Psalm is more than a statement of praise, but this psalm is a prophetic psalm. Points to something in the future. That one day, God's enemies will totally be defeated. And one day, creation will entirely point toward the majesty of God. We don't see it all in completion right now, but at one point, we will. It's not just a prophetic psalm, but it's a messianic psalm. It doesn't just point to the fact that sometime in the future, there will be God defeating his enemies through the mouths of babies and infants, and man will rule perfectly over his creation and domain. But it also points to a Messiah. It points to the way that God is going to do that. And we see that even better, not just when we look at Psalm 8, but we see it even better as we look at where we find Psalm 8 in the rest of Scripture. 
all through Scripture, we find a number of the Psalms quoted through Scripture, but Psalm 8 is quoted in a couple of pretty significant places. One of those is Hebrews chapter 2. So if you want to turn there, you can in Hebrews chapter 2. The writer of Hebrews says, starting in verse 5, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or son of man that you care for him? Those words ring a bell? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet, the writer of Hebrews says. And then he goes on to say, Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we who see him, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. The writer of Hebrews says, Who is man that you are mindful of him, or son of man that you care for him? And ties it directly to Jesus. Namely, Jesus, crowned in glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. The writer of Hebrews says this passage ultimately will be fulfilled in Jesus. Paul talks about it. Paul quotes the same passage again in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There's a long passage there where Paul talks about the ultimate resurrection that we will one day be resurrected forever in heaven with God. And he says in Saul, or in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'll start in verse 25, he says, For he must reign until he has put all the enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And then he quotes Psalm 8. He says, For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. When it says all things are put in subjection, it's plain that he has, that he is expected who put all things in subjection under him. Paul says, This Psalm 8, this prophecy in Psalm 8 comes true. The resurrection comes true. Totally, completely in Jesus. But the one I really want you to look at is in Matthew chapter 21. In fact, I'd I'd love for you to turn there in Matthew chapter 21. There's a quote of Psalm 8 that we find in Matthew chapter 21. In Matthew chapter 21, that portion of scripture is, is... is part of the, follows after the triumphal entry. It's towards the very end of Jesus' life. It's the last week of his life. And Jesus has entered into Jerusalem and, and the people have shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They've cried out those, those cries to Jesus. And Jesus then comes into Jerusalem and he comes into the temple and, 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 and in fact casts out the, the money changers and, and, and all of that. You can read that in Matthew 21. And then there, then as he's there in the temple, the children are there, it says. And the children are coming to Jesus and, and they're saying, um, let me back up. In verse 14, it says, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. So Jesus is in the temple. He's thrown out the, the money changers. Um, and he's healing blind people and lame people. And as he's there, 
the children are crying out, Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna to the Son of David. About Jesus. They're seeing all these things. They're seeing that, that the blind are having sight and the lame are beginning to walk. And Jesus is doing that. And Jesus is changing lives. And the chief priests and the scribes see the wonderful things that he is doing. And here's the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of God. They hear, they hear the children calling out to Jesus saying, You are the Son of God. You are the one that God has sent. You are the Messiah. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And the scribes and the Pharisees come to Jesus in Matthew 21 and verse 15. And they are indignant, it says. And they say to Jesus, Do you hear what these are saying? Do you hear what these children are chanting, what they're saying outside here in the temple? Do you hear that they're calling you the Son of God, that they're naming you the Messiah? Do you hear that? Jesus says to them, Yes, I hear it. And then he says, Have you never read and quotes Psalm 8? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. That would have been the Greek phrase that he would have used. But he's again quoting Psalm 8. Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Jesus is saying, yeah, I I hear them. They're shouting, Hosanna, they're calling me the Messiah. I hear them, yes. And then says to the scribes, to the chief priests, to the the Pharisees, he says, I hear them and, and points back to the prophecy that comes from Psalm 8. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, out of the mouths and babies and infants, God's enemies will be destroyed. You can only imagine, as the chief priests and the Pharisees hear Jesus' response, what they think. They knew, they knew exactly what Jesus was quoting. They knew exactly the line that came from Psalm 8. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. Jesus is saying, yes, I hear what they're saying when they call me the Messiah, when they call me, when they call me the one sent by God to defeat his enemies. I hear what they're calling me. This is, this is what they're saying. And he says, when you oppose that, when you oppose what the children are saying, you are an enemy of God. You can see why the chief priests and the Pharisees get so angry with Jesus. Why, why, as you read through now, after this, it's not very long before Jesus then is actually sent to death. Even death on a cross. Jesus says, yeah, I hear what they're saying. And they're right. I am the Messiah. I am the way that God is going to triumph over his enemies. God will use the weak. God will use the weak to defeat the seemingly strong. He'll use the, he will use man seemingly insignificant to rule over all that he has created. 
and those things will point and make God look all the greater and all the more majestic. That's what we celebrate this morning at the table. Worship team is going to come and help us as we share in communion this morning. This table represents exactly that. That God has made a way for us, the seemingly insignificant, that God has made a way for man, he's mindful of him, and has made a way for us to be reconciled and brought right with him and shows his majesty through it. And he does it, and he does it through death on the cross, just as one man brings sin into the world. As one Adam came, another man, Jesus, comes and through death brings life. And through brokenness brings wholeness, brings completeness. Who through unbelievably major suffering and pain brings healing. That God uses the weak to slay the strong. That's the majesty of God. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. It's right here. God makes a way for us sinners to be made right. And he sends Jesus, who had no sin and knew no sin and never sinned, to become sin for us so that we might have the righteousness of God. So this morning, we're going to share in communion together. I'd invite those who are going to help me to serve to come forward. We invite you this morning to look at the communion invitation that's on the screen there. You also have it in your own uh, bulletin this morning. If you can live under that invitation, we would love for you to partake in communion together with us. We will come and we will serve you there and uh, we would love for you to take with us. I'd invite you this morning to, to take this element and hold it and then we'll take it together.
took the blame, bore the wrath, we stand forgiven at the cross. Oh, to see the pain written on your face. Bearing the awesome weight of sin Every bitter thought Every evil deed Crowning your blood-stained brow This the power of the cross Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath, we stand forgiven at the cross. represents the body of our Lord Jesus Christ broken on the cross for us. Take and eat. Be grateful that God used Jesus to make a way for us. Take and eat. Again, I invite you to take and hold and we'll partake together. Now the daylight flees Now the ground beneath Quakes as its maker bows his head, curtain torn in two, dead are raised to life, finish the victory cry. This the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath, we stand forgiven at the cross. in the wounds for through your 
the blood of Jesus Christ shed for you. Take and drink and be grateful. God, it is almost unbelievable, unfathomable for us this morning to know that the God who flicked the stars into place is mindful of us. And not just mindful of us, God, but you in your perfect, sovereign plan sent Jesus, who humbled himself and made himself nothing and took on the very being and appearance of man and became obedient to death, even death on a cross so that we might know the righteousness of Christ. So that we might be made right with you. Oh God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Help us today to celebrate, God, the work that you have done in and through and for us. And be grateful. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.